Hello and welcome to Getaway Day. This is episode 105. My name is Gautam. His name is Mason. And today we're going to do some uh, prospect digging from the last six years or so and uh, remember some guys from the past who used to be the big the big deal. Some of them panned out, some of them didn't. We'll go back and, and kind of look at how teams have done with their top prospects and um, hopefully we'll, we'll have some interesting conversations branching off from there. Of course, we'll start with uh, This Week in Baseball. Thank you for joining us, Mason, today. I know you're in a remote location. I am in a very rem- remote location, uh, somewhere in between L.A. proper and Anaheim. So uh, hoping to hit up a Dodgers or an Angels game here later this week. I think the Dodgers are actually leaving town tomorrow. Uh, but the Angels get back on Friday, which is hopefully the last day I'm here. So maybe I can make that work. So awesome. yeah, I'm excited yes. to talk about the good old days when Lewis Brinson was a top prospect. Oh, is he on our list here? He is. All right. Perfect. Um, so before we get into the prospect talk, we will do some This Week in Baseball. And um, starting off with the Mexico series, which happened this week, it was kind of under the radar. People didn't really publicize it super well. But this series between the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres took place in Mexico City. Uh, Mexico City is is at an altitude of 7,200 feet, which is 2,000 feet higher than uh, Coors Field where the Rockies play. So basically the ball is absolutely flying. Uh, There was a report that they were actually storing the baseball at the humidor conditions of the other 29 parks because Coors Field usually has its own conditions that the ball is stored prior to the games. And they just used the setting for the other 29 for some reason. And you could definitely tell in Saturday's game, which finished at 16 to 11. I guess I I know you didn't really watch this series, but like, what do you think about the Mexico series in general? So first of all, I want to make a comment about the humidor. Uh, So uh, to be honest, I thought they weren't going to be using a humidor at all. So I thought that this was going to be like even more insane, but at least they did something, even though it wasn't much. Uh, Because storing it in a humidor like you're at about 500 to 1,000 foot elevation versus 7,200 foot elevation, that's insane. Because, I mean, heck, at a mile, when you're baking, you're supposed to bake, or water boils at like, what, it's like 208 degrees or something like that is where water boils at, at, at a mile high. So, like, if water is boiling at a lower temperature, balls are probably going to be over the course of a mile. So, that's just insane. Uh, as for the Mexico series itself, I really, really like that they're doing it um, and that they've been doing it for the last couple of years, going down and actually getting some big games in Mexico uh, to try and expand that um, that viewership even more for Major League Baseball. Because, I mean, such a huge part of the baseball community is Latin American, Mexican, um, South American, all that good stuff. And we don't really do a very good job of reaching out to that community. Um, they're doing the London series this year. 
Um, they're probably going to keep trying to expand and do more stuff like that, similar to how the NFL is going and doing the Germany game, um, I think, next year. Um, but, yeah, I I really wish I would have, like, known about it so that I would have actually watched it. Yeah, for sure. And it was super cool. The uh, They had, like, special jerseys, too. The Padres were wearing their City Connect, very colorful, colorful jerseys. The uh, Giants were wearing their Gigantes across the chest jerseys. Um, just so it looks like a cool atmosphere. And then the game itself, like I mentioned, there was just balls flying everywhere. There are 11 home runs. Brandon Crawford, Lamont Wade, Mitch Hanniger, uh, Blake Sable, David VR. That was just the Giants side. Uh, Padres. Uh, Nelson Cruz had a five for five game. He had a home run. Uh, Juan Soto, Xander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado had two home runs. Uh, so if you like offense, this is the game for you. If you care about your pitchers ERAs, like yikes, <laughs> they're going to be recovering from that one for a little bit. So what you're telling me is that the teams that should be playing in the Mexico series next year when it's back in Mexico City should be... Please hold. Please hold. Why is this not sorting? Uh, Oakland and the White Sox. That'd be, that'd be quite the matchup. I think they actually have announced a matchup between the Rockies and the uh, Astros, I believe, for next year. But they have not we'll confirmed... See. See, that. one of those teams doesn't care about their ERA, but not both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the Rockies might have uh, some knowledge about how to play there, but they haven't figured out the pitching at their own altitude yet. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well, and uh, I don't think this is in our rundown, but they just lost Herman Marquez for the rest of the season. Uh, he's going yes. down with Tommy John, so... Like one of the guys that's actually been able to perform in course field is now going down. Well, and I say perform in course field relatively performing course field is going down with a season ending injury and he won't be back until probably the middle of next year now. So right, right. that is a huge yeah. loss. So they're going to be even or struggling even harder now. Yeah. Speaking of struggle, the Chicago White Sox, we have to go there this week because Things have gotten seemingly as bad as they can get because the White Sox had a 10-game losing streak that finally ended on uh, Sunday with some walk-off heroics from Andrew Bond. But before that, like, really rough go of it. Um, just very poor starting pitching for the most part. One of, I think you said they have the worst bullpen ERA in the league. They have the worst bullpen ERA in the league by, I believe, a considerable margin um oakland is close actually no they're they're pretty much tied with oakland for the worst but then they've got about a half a run uh worse than the next team which is san francisco and then a full like run and a quarter to get to the fourth worst team Mm -hmm. so and then it's they haven't been able to abysmal in the bullpen and you watch the games, and you see exactly that. I mean, Jimmy Lambert has not been pitching well at all. He's been just god-awful. Ronaldo Lopez has been struggling. Um, uh, Kendall Graveman, is he even healthy right now? I think he's there. 
he's been all right. And then yeah. Jake Diekman the, just got DFA'd today. Like he was not yeah. helping so at all. There were there were eleven roster moves made today by the White Sox, and I have them all pulled up in front of me. So Jake Diekman and Frank Herman were both DFA'd. Um, they're both relief, or I think both relief pitchers. Joe Kelly yeah. went on the paternity list. Um, Oscar Colas and Lenin Sosa were both optioned to AAA Charlotte. Romy Gonzalez went on the 10-day IL. So they ju- that's what? One, two, three, four, five, six guys that are now off the roster. Tim Anderson and Hanser Alberto are back. That is huge, bringing back Tim Anderson. That is going to help a lot just on the defense because their defense has been awful. Um, I think it'll help on the offensive side a bit um, once he gets back into things. Then they also selected the contracts of Alex Colome to come into the bullpen, Billy Hamilton, um, and uh, Sammy Peralta, who I assume is also going to the bullpen. So 11 roster moves today. They are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they're throwing everything they can at the transaction list to see if they can make something click. Yeah, so, at this point, they, they'll do whatever it takes kind of to shake things up. But we haven't even talked about the offense, really. Obviously, Tim Anderson's been their catalyst in the past, getting on base a ton with his um, bat-to-ball skill and the guys behind him that you expect to be hitting um, Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez have really not done what they have done in the past. And, and it's just, I'm surprised by it. Like, I feel like Eloy's probably hurt still. And yeah. And uh, Luis was out with an injury on Sunday and he's been playing through some stuff. So like, it's really, really kind of screwy. Like, I, I don't think either one of those guys is healthy. Uh, honestly, Aloy has never been healthy. So I I would be, I would not be surprised if he were still hurt. Um, ben Attendee has been out with injury the last couple days, and he's not been, not been phenomenal recently. No, no. Um, yes, Monty Grandal was injured a bit last week. Um, on Wednesday, out out of the lineup on Friday, and it, then his just defense recently has just been bad too. So it's like I don't know how much of it is like him being injured versus them kind of wanting to put Sebi in just from a defensive standpoint or what. But yeah, it's just there's there's it's hard to find like a whole lot of any good going on with this team right now. And it makes you wonder, like, is, like, is the is the new manager not getting the most out of these players? Like, it seems like way too early to have that kind of conversation. But it's also yeah. like, this is they they sort of are getting what they deserve based on like the off season and the improvements that they tried to make to their team. They they brought in Ben Nintendi, but beyond that, it was. Not a whole lot. Well, and I want to make sure to clarify what you just said. The front office is getting what they deserve. Everyone else is getting screwed. Because, like, even even the good with this team is not really what it should be. And the good being Andrew Vaughn. 
Andrew Vaughn has been a 125 WRC plus guy. He's been a, a good hitter this year, uh, but he's a 255, 358, 434 slash. His slug is actually really pretty low. He's only hit three home runs so far this year. Um, he's not been worth a ton in war. Mostly, I think, defensively is the cause there. But, like, he's he's their best hitter right now. And even he's underperforming. So, when everyone else is just looking abysmal, he can't carry the team on his own. Like, he... he basically put together the walk-off the other day to end the streak. But he can't do that every day. And, and the biggest problem, especially if we're looking and blaming the front office, as we should be, is the pitching staff. I mean, we just cited they're the second worst bullpen ERA in the or no, they're the worst bullpen ERA in the league. They are the... They're second worst in team ERA overall. Yes, second worst in team ERA. Their starter ERA is 25th. And it's only being held up by a couple of Dylan C starts. Like, if you throw out, like, like I mean, even Cease has had a couple bad games so far. You throw yeah. out his good starts, and they're probably the worst pitching team in the league this year, which really sucks to say because this is such a talented roster. When you look at Aloy, you look at um, uh, Tim, uh, Tim Anderson, you look at Luis Robert, you look at Andrew Vaughn, you look at Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn. This is a really, really talented roster. And they just have not been able to get anything going. It seems like the new manager, which I can't remember his name. What's his name? Uh, Pedro Griffol. Pedro Griffol. It seems like he's not really sure when he should be pulling guys versus when he shouldn't. But then again, he doesn't have anyone to turn to. So it's like, can you blame him? Do you just have to go and blame the GM? Which right now, I think, yes. I think that is the, that is the crux of all of it, is the front office has, been, has right. done such a and, and it job. actually goes beyond that. I think it's Jerry Reinsdorf. That's the main issue here because – he he's always been like this. He's he's never wanted to spend a lot of money on the roster. Or, I mean, that's true. The, the I, White I Sox have a very Jerry bad a like part of the front office. Okay, like, I feel like ownership yeah. and front office are different, but uh, that's fair. Yeah, like the White Sox have had a pretty bad history. Honestly, like when you look back at their history, the number of times they've actually made the playoffs in consecutive years, it's like one time ever. And so, it has not been recent. No, it was recent. Oh, it was recent? It was like 2020 and 2021 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the only time in the history of the franchise they've ever in made the playoffs. And 2020 doesn't really fully count. Right, yeah. So, ugh. But, yeah, this, is, this team just... I feel so bad for anyone that's a White Sox fan. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely but, crazy. If you... If you turn it back to 2021 at this time, like they were the, like the up and coming team and they were looking so good. And in two years, so much seems to have changed. Like the vibes are very poor right now for the White Sox. Yeah. So a question for you, do you think they can turn it around this season or is this season just like a lost cause and they need to think about selling off their key pieces? 
I know what I want to say, and I know what I probably should say. They're not the same. <laughs> like, for for all the fans, for everyone who goes to watch the game, I want to say that they're going to be able to figure this out. But if we look at it, the if we look at the standings right now, after the start that they had, they are eight and twenty-one. They're only nine games out. They're in the AL Central. There's a chance they could they could do it, but I I think it's going to be more than just wanting to win. Like I think there's so many just glaringly open or like just glaring holes that you can't fix right now. This is the exact same thing you and I have been talking about with the Cardinals. Like there's no starting pitching to be had right now. It's way too early in the season for some teams to that might be sellers later to sell a starter. Same thing with the bullpen. Anyone who you could get in a trade right now is probably not a whole lot of an upgrade over what you got. So it's like when you're looking at pitching right now, there's really no solutions to be had unless you have any internal. I don't. It's really. really think- I think the the only hope for the White Sox is that their starting pitching should be a lot better than it has been, right? With with the names, yes. just looking at the names, Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, uh, Michael Kopech. Who else do they have? Giolito. Giolito. Like, those guys should all pitch better than they have. And Agreed. Just with that, they should not play this badly. Like, th- there's no well, way they're, they're, they're worse than the Tigers and the Royals. They can get back yes. in this. Yes, but that's not the question that you originally posed. Yeah. Like That's true. you asked if they can if they can come back from this or if they need to sell off. Well, even if they even if their starting pitching comes back around and they are better than the Whites or than the uh, Tigers and the Royals, well, they're still going to be behind Minnesota and Cleveland. So mm-hmm. it's like unless you can realistically pass one of those two teams and give yourself a shot at the wild card, you kind of have to sell. And then look at like how many years you've got left on some of these guys. Like Dylan Cease has got what one or two years left. Uh, um, I guess I think at one more year. Twenty nineteen to twenty three. So this is his. This is his year four. So he's got two more years after this year. Um. So probably you hold on to him. Giolito, I believe, is a free agent. He is. So you probably have to try and trade Lucas, who has not been particularly good so far this year. Um, You probably have to look at, uh, now I'm questioning, Luis Robert. Oh, no, I clicked on Castillo. Um, Luis Robert. Mm, He's still got three years, so not really that big a deal. But uh, Aloy, he's the other one that's going to be gone soon. He's at what in his year five right he, now? He's, so got, he's, got he's also an extension guy, right? Oh, he did get an extension. There's a, almost every White Sox guy of their core has been extended. Signed through 2024 with club options in 25 26. Okay, so so it's not like they're forced to sell those guys, but if you want to get any sort of like big return, then you might start thinking about it. Those could be like the the best bats available on the yeah. so trade market. Lance Lynn has a club option for next year. Yep. He's a guy you could potentially get something for. Liam Hendricks, who uh, 
is going to be a godsend when he comes back, I think, for this team, by the way. Um, he's got a club option for next year. Yasmani Grandal is a free agent after this season. Um, Tim Anderson has a club option. Uh, Joe Kelly has a club option. Elvis Andrews and Hanser Alberto become free agents. Like there's, there's a lot of guys that, uh, and then Lucas and Reynaldo Lopez are both free agents after this year. So like there's a lot of guys that they don't have a lot of control left over. So even if you keep the core guys like, like Robert, like Aloy, you still have quite a bit of guys that you could offload and probably should offload if things keep going the way they're going. Yep. So, yeah. So I think uh, we can talk about the White Sox all hour, but let's yeah. uh, let's get let's talk about some happier things, like some returning players. Uh, Bryce Harper is making his season debut today, and this is just remarkable. The guy had surgery after the postseason, after the long Phillies postseason run, when they went to the World Series. Um, he he was playing through his torn UCL. He finally had the Tommy John surgery, and now he's already back on May 2nd after 160 in days. 60 days. Right. It's absolutely absurd. The, the original prognosis had him coming back in July. So my question is, are they just rushing this way too much, and is Bryce really going to struggle here out of the gate? So I, I obviously don't know from a medical perspective because, I mean, my back has been hurting me all day and I couldn't even tell you why. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe take what I say with a grain of salt. But I don't think they're going to rush Bryce back if it's at risk of hurting him again. Sure, sure. That makes sense, yeah. I think that makes sense, but I, I do think we need to be concerned that it's going to take a little bit of time before we get – get back to seeing like Bryce Harper that we saw in now, the postseason. Th that was the other point that I was going to make. It's like, so they're not going to rush him back medically. Maybe from an, is he ready to play standpoint? Probably. Um, and it, I mean, I get it. This is a team that is drastically underperforming. They're fourth place. They're 500. They just came off a world series appearance that nobody expected. And they bolstered their roster to try and get back. And then they got hit with quite a few different things. The biggest one probably being the fact that, one, Bryce was out with Tommy John. And two, Reese Hoskins went down blowing his ACL or his Achilles. I can't remember which. Yeah, yeah. ACL, um, yeah. ACL. And so that kind of put a big damper on this team so far. Like Absolutely. two of their big boppers are gone. Two and then of when you defensive look, players are gone. Not that Reese is very good defensively, but Bryce is. Bryce is fairly decent, especially if, given that roster. He's one of the best defensive players they have. Yeah, and then when so, you look at some of the, the slow starts that their hitters have had, like Trey Turner in his first year with the Phillies has kind of started a little slowly. Kyle Schwarber's hitting about 200. Uh, actually, Nick Castellanos has been one of the bright spots for this team. He's He was like a pretty obvious guy to bounce back this year. And he's looking yeah. like the Nick Castellanos of old, which is great, but they need Turner. They need uh Schwarber and they need Hoskins or they, they need and Harper Bryce. here. To, uh, and and that's, that's one of the big things with Bryce is he's been playing a lot of first base and his rehab and stuff, just trying to get, 
trying to get to where he could play first, which is going to, one, be easier on his elbow because he's not going to be throwing the ball. He's just going to be catching it. So it'll help with his recovery, get him on the field, help out, get one of those worst defensive players in the DH spot. And two, it fills the hole left by Reese Hoskins. So this this is a big thing getting Bryce to play first. It's not going to be a long-term move. Next year, he'll be back to right field. And I have no doubt in my mind about that. But yeah, this is huge, getting Bryce back. And he's starting tonight in the DH spot tonight against the Dodgers here in LA, um, which obviously I couldn't go because I'm here talking to you guys. So, oh well. Sounds like you don't want to be here. I don't. I'm going to be at the Dodger game. <laughs> wow. Okay. But, but yeah. Uh, uh, and he's then, not the only guy coming back, though, right? That's right. Justin Verlander making his first Mets start uh, later this week, I believe Thursday, against Detroit, of all teams. So that'll be kind of a fun matchup. Uh, is, it, is it in Detroit, or is it in New York? It is... I do not remember. Uh, I will check might be at Detroit, that. I believe. I have MLB's website pulled up right now. If I remember right, I think it's at Detroit. It is in Detroit. Yep. Verlander versus Erod. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. Uh, Max Scherzer is also coming off his suspension tomorrow. Uh, so we'll get to see those two guys back to back. And that's what Mets, Mets fans have been looking for because exactly what we said about the Mets starting rotation has kind of happened. Um, Scherzer, he's, he's stayed healthy, but Verlander got hurt. Carlos Carrasco got hurt. Um, Jose Quintana was hurt preseason. So their old guys have not stayed healthy to this point in the season. They've had to rely on the David Petersons and the Tyler McGills. Um, so good to see Verlander healthy and back with Scherzer. I'm looking forward to seeing what, Verlander does in his follow-up from the Cy Young season. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out who just hit that homer for the Red Sox. Um, but yeah, no, this is going to be huge for the Mets getting Verlander back and getting Scherzer back off his suspension. This is a team that's 16 and 13 right now. They're, they're still up the, or they're still playing decent ball, but they're not playing the best ball that they can right now. They're in, they're tied for second place in the division with Miami of all teams. Um, and oh, come on, tell me who that was. Uh, but yeah, but they're still three games behind Atlanta. So now having the starting pitching starting to come back, if they can get to their dominant level, this is a team that's been scoring fairly decent, still not amazing, uh, but they've been scoring. Uh, they put up 135 runs on the year, which I think puts them roughly top 10 and um run scored so it, it'll be huge being able to limit the damage done against them while keeping their uh their offense going the way that it is so yeah totally and uh, i got a random marlins fact for you so you were surprised that they're doing so well uh last year the marlins had the worst record in the majors in one run games this year they're 10 and 0 in one run games. So maybe a little fluke. Uh, is it a with, fluke or have they figured out how to, is Skip Schumacher actually good at running a bullpen? 
usually you're not going to win a hundred percent of your uh, well one run yeah, games. It, yes, but I mean, like the fact that they're doing well in it so far. Like, is that a yeah. fluke? Because like ten and zero, yeah, that's probably a fluke. I do um, think their bullpen is like quite a bit improved from last year, and that sometimes plays a role in those one run games. Well, and They've I don't got, think like, Mattingly was really the best at managerial decisions in close games. Right. Yeah. Maybe not. So, and granted, Skip's also a first-time manager. So, how great is he versus how are they just getting lucky? I don't know. We'll yeah. figure that out. But we will. It it is nice to see the Marlins actually not being god awful. Yeah, that is so, true. They're not scoring at all. Um, they've only they've not even scored a hundred runs yet on the year. I think they are the third lowest scoring team in the league, uh, beating out only Detroit, who scored 88 runs, Kansas Kansas City, City. who scored 96. So they're definitely getting by on their pitching, which is kind of what we have always said that they would do. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara has like a five plus ERA. Who, Who could have seen this coming? I don't think anybody. Yeah, exactly. And they're still managing so good for them yeah and uh last one before we get into the main topic rays and pirates they're starting a three-game series they're the best teams in both leagues facing off this has got to be like the biggest surprise of the season the race race part of it's not a surprise like if you told me the Rays would be the best team in april i would say okay that that's fine but the pirates best team in the national league 20 and 9 record it is uh, like we we basically talked about this last week that it's probably not sustainable. Um, but I just was thinking like what the Pirates are doing right now is kind of very Rays-esque. They've, they've done so well with some of these like minor, seemingly minor trades, transactions. Um, it, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a great example. So, Adam Frazier, you're a big Adam Frazier guy. Yep. When Adam Frazier was having one of his best seasons of his career in 2021 with the Pirates, he got traded to San Diego at the All-Star break. The two players in return of that trade, uh, Tukupita Marcano and Jack Suwinski. Uh, Jack Jack Suwinski was in that trade? Yeah, so people don't even remember that trade. And obviously Adam Frazier... You know, he's a fine player, but like we've talked about, he's he's not like a whole bu- whole lot better than an average player. What Jack Sawinski is showing right now is extremely interesting to me because this guy just like pops on a stat cast page. He's extremely fast, like greater than 90th percentile sprint speed. He's hitting the crap out of the ball. He seems like he has a great plate approach. He's taking like 16% walks. And he plays center field. That's an extremely exciting player. So if if he like ends up being way more than Adam Frazier could ever dream of being, I mean that's just a coup for the for the Pirates. Well, and and the one thing that definitely sets him apart from Adam Frazier, what do you think Adam Frazier's um, OPS was? I'd say probably seven something, eight eight, roughly. What maybe. this year? No, just like in general. What would oh, you, what general. would you guess that it would have been? Oh, probably like 
680 or something. 680? All right. Yeah. Uh, do you know what Jack Sawinski's slugging percentage is? <laughs> Probably like 700 or something. Uh, 618. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, he's got a 393 OBP and a 618 slug. So he's over 1,000 OPS. Adam Frazier would have probably been about 700. So just in that one spot alone, he's so much better than Adam Frazier. Then you add in his speed, you add in the fact that he still plays a pretty like important defensive position. Frazier was second base. He's center field. I would argue that's even more important. Like They made out like bandits in a trade that nobody would have expected them to come out on top. 100%, yeah. And there's other guys that are key parts of their roster. David Bednar was part of the uh, Joe Musgrove trade. I mean, uh, Will Crow was part of the Josh Bell trade. Like they, They've actually done well on the fringes. They haven't acquired like superstars. Isn't Will Crow the one with the Javi play? With the what? Wasn't he playing first base on the Javi? No, no, he's a pitcher. You're thinking of uh, a different guy. I think his name was Will something, too. That's probably why I'm confused. Will Craig, I think, was his name. Yes, that's what it was. Okay, so you could see my confusion there. Yeah, yeah. Pirates, guy's name's Will, yeah. Will CR, whatever. But I'm I'm just, like, quiet. In the last week, I've just been really intrigued by this Pirates team, even though I don't necessarily see them, like, winning the division this year or anything, but... I do think just with the wins that they banked here in in the first month, if you look at like projections, um, basically the NL Central has become an incredibly like tight race right now. So I'm looking at the Fangraphs projection and they have the Brewers, the Pirates, the Cardinals and the Cubs all finishing between 80 and 86 wins at this point in the season now. If anyone's projecting the Cardinals to still win 80 games at this point, <laughs> I want what they're smoking. <laughs> we got I mean, a Cardinals fan that's uh, lost the hope gonna, here. I know they're going to rebound. Like, there's no way they're this bad. It's the same thing with the White Sox. I know that there's it no is. way they're this bad. But <laughs> right now, right now but, it just feels like they can never win a game, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the worst start they've had since 1973. Yep. I wasn't even like, my parents were barely born in 1973. <laughs> so it's been a long time. Yeah. So th- this definitely, for, for a team that's as spoiled as the Cardinals, this kind of hurts. This hurts real bad, dude. <laughs> how, did, how did you do it forever and still do it? <laughs> but no, but the, the <clears throat> cool thing about this Pirates team, though, is, the, and we talked about this last week, so I won't go very, very long into it, but like, they're not just like overperforming on both sides of the ball. They're overperforming and straight up excelling on both sides of the ball. They've put up 156 runs already this year, which is one of the top in the league. I think they're like the second or third highest scoring team in the league. Uh, fourth behind Tampa, Boston, somehow, even though Boston gives up way more runs than that. And the Dodgers. Uh, then it's Pittsburgh. They're the fourth highest scoring team in the league. They have only given up 108 runs. There are only like seven teams 
that have given up less than 110. So they're top 10 pitching. They're top 10 hitting. Like, they're playing really, really well. And it's, I think they're just seeing breakouts of guys that none of, or that most people had written off. Guys like Connor Joe, Jack Sawinski, Jason DeLay has been playing really well. Uh, Rodolfo Castro has been playing really well. Carlos Santana has been solid this year, and I think everyone kind of wrote him off at this point in his career. Then you've got the pitching that we talked about last week. Like, Rowan C. Contreras has been solid. Mitch Keller. Vince Velasquez is still at a 3.06 ERA. Don't understand it. So it's just, it's, it's amazing. Like, I'm going to keep talking about it because I don't understand it. I want to know how they did it because if they knew that this was going to happen and that's why they've been doing things this way, I would like to just, like, download the GM's brain because I need that. GM needs some credit here because it's Ben Charrington. He, he's built really great teams in the past. He's got a ton of experience. He's exactly the right person to lead pirates i think um and now they're sort of like showing like positive signs even earlier than people would have expected because we haven't even seen some of their top prospects yet we haven't seen andy rodriguez we haven't seen henry davis we have we not seen really, Quinn we, we haven't seen uh nick gonzalez we haven't seen shit there's more who else we got yeah uh, so, so I'll, I guess I'll summarize by saying like they, they're a lot of stuff has gone right for them to get to 20 and nine, but let's not forget they don't have O'Neill Cruz. Um, Key Brian Hayes has not had a breakout and uh, they've got a pit, JT Brubaker has had Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be one of their best pitchers this year. So um, like, I don't know. I'm happy for the Pirates. Yeah. Oh, the other name we forgot, the prospects that we probably shouldn't have forgot, Quinn Priester. I, I said him, yeah. Oh, did you? I, I just was – I missed it. Um, yeah, yeah, so let's, uh, let's get on to our main topic here and talk a little bit about prospects and number one prospects specifically. So we're, we're, um, I was inspired by a chart made by Jay Kuda on uh, Twitter where he listed off the number one prospects for every team in the major leagues each year, 2017 through 2022. So, for example, the Pirates in 2017, their number one prospect, Austin Meadows. In 2018 and 2019, Mitch Keller. 2021, Key Brian Hayes, and then 2022, O'Neill Cruz. So that's actually a pretty solid uh, group when you start looking at some of these other teams and, and who their number one prospects have been. The Pirates kind of did a decent job, even though Meadows um, got traded and had probably his best season with with Tampa. Mitch Keller looking like a credible Major League starter. Key Brian Hayes, obviously a solid player, even without amazing offense at this point. And then we were seeing kind of the breakout from O'Neill Cruz. So they did a good job with their number one prospects. Obviously, this is like kind of a very specific thing we're looking at. Number one prospects don't mean that 
the system as a whole is amazing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that like you can't be successful in other pathways, but it's just, I just thought it was an interesting thing we could look at here. Yeah. I, uh, I was actually curious, uh, cause I couldn't remember what the Meadows trade was. So I, I was curious to see how Pittsburgh did. Like if oh, you gosh. look at like even that, I completely forgot just how bad the trade with Tampa was. Cause, yeah. uh, yeah, it was glass now. Meadows and Shane Boz, all for Chris Archer. Yep, that and is then, one of the worst trades ever. And then Tampa went and later sent Meadows off for Isaac Paredes. So like the the Rays are still reaping the rewards of that trade. Absolutely, Good Lord. Yeah. Sorry, I know that's off topic. Uh, we'll, no, we'll that that definitely fits into it because Shane Boz was the number one prospect a few years after that trade for the Rays, who always have an incredible system. Obviously, Boz has uh, struggled with injuries. He's, he's like out for the season. But that's another team that's done well with like a guy like Willie Adamas, who was their number one prospect in 17. Uh, and then Wander Franco more recently, who's clearly breaking out and becoming the superstar we all thought he was going to be. Yeah. So I was looking to see if there was a, a prospect in the um, Willie Adamas trade. There was not. Um, but yeah, the, I I look at like some of these teams that have just done like historically bad with their number one prospects. Um, teams like, uh, well. I don't know if this is necessarily the best one to point out because it does have Adley Rutschman for three years, but the Orioles, Chance Sisko was a top prospect. Austin Hayes, who is a very good major leaguer. Uh, Yusniel Diaz. Like, these are guys, like, that's a really hit or miss list. Like, yeah, obviously, Hayes is a good major leaguer and Adley is a budding superstar, but just it, it amazes me some of these um, these big misses that you get for some mm-hmm. of these teams. And then you've got like, uh, oh, maybe this is the one I should have uh, should have gone with. The A's, like their top prospects. Franklin Barreto, who is now in AAA for the Nationals. Nothing really ever came from him. A.J. Puck, who dealt with a lot of injuries, and then he got shipped off with the next guy that was their number one prospect, Jesus Luzardo, to the Marlins. Jesus Luzardo has also really not been what he was supposed to be. I think he's, he's been had pretty good. I, I feel like those two guys have been pretty good, but they've done it for other organizations. So that's like that's an A's specific problem, I think. That's they fair. actually trade got, their like upside guys. Yeah. Now we've got Tyler Soderstrom who's been their top prospect the last two years. Um, and I think probably continues to be, um, triple a, uh, catcher, probably going to be first base, something like that. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. It's absolutely, I mean, the A's one makes me sad. Just thinking about all the talent that they've traded away. We're seeing Matt Chapman play like the best player in the league right now. Sean Murphy had two home runs yesterday and he's 
probably been the best catch, hitting catcher in the league this year. Matt Olson um, still mashes over. And- Matt Olson still mashing, and then you got AJ Puck locking down saves for the uh, Marlins, and Lazardo actually pitching quite well this year too. So, what are you going to do with a franchise like that? Yeah, the the now- one that's that, that I'm seeing here is the Rockies, and it's for a specific reason. Brandon Rogers, who became a decent major league player, he had a like a good season last year in his first basically full season, but he was the number one prospect for the Rockies in 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. That tells me that there were no other prospects that could be better than Brendan Rogers, of all people. Who was hurt basically the entire five years that he was a top prospect. And by the way, he's hurt again. Yeah. It's like that that just kind of shows the state of your system if the number one guy is kind of like a mid-tier player. Like he started out obviously a great prospect. He was a top five pick in the draft, but after years and years of not making much progress, like you would think you would get unseated by someone and, and that never ha- happened. Actually actually that that brings up a really good point. I want to look here just for a minute at some of these teams that had a guy be their top prospect for three years or more. And okay. cause like two, I understand it makes a lot of sense. Now, some of these Vladimir Guerrero. Okay. He was the number one prospect when he was incredibly young. And then he has panned out to be every bit of what he was supposed to be. Um, you get a similar thing in a guy like Bobby Witt jr. He was drafted out of high school with like the number two pick in the draft. Like he was expected to be every bit of a superstar. And so far, what we're seeing from Bobby Witt is that he has the potential to be that. He's not had his true breakout breakout. He had a great rookie season. So it's definitely possibly there. Wander and Adley, same thing. But then you get to the other side of the aisle. <laughs> the guys who were kind of more of the Brendan Rodgers, you get uh, Marco Luciano, who is uh, still never passed high A for the Giants. Uh, Victor Robles in 17-18-19 for the Nationals. He's been okay, but he's not been... You wouldn't think that he was a number one prospect based on the way he plays. Alex Reyes for the Cardinals. Forrest Whitley for four years with the Astros. Like... It, it just it amazes me that some of these guys that like they had such potential and then it just seems like they went player billy bean like, you know what i mean <laughs> yeah oh yeah that took me a while for that to register but yeah yeah i mean so that, for, and for, that's always like the thing we can point out like these guys are so hyped up but then you look at some of the names like 2017 Angels, Jamai Jones, like never made any sort of impact at the major league level. Lewis Anderson Espinosa, just what? Uh, Lewis Brinson. Lewis Brinson, who really did not have a lot of success and now like became sort of like a journeyman type guy. Um, and then guys who've just had their careers basically ravaged by injuries. Uh, 2017 Padres, number one prospect, Anderson Espinosa who finally actually made his major league debut in 2022. So like five plus years after he was a number one prospect. So 
sometimes it takes time and, and these guys like never really pan out. And then there's other cases of it taking quite a bit longer, I guess, for the the number one prospect to like finally become a major league player. Can can you find an example of, of like of that? a guy who be uh I mean Brent Honeywell kind of, but kind like of. he's hurt, right? Yeah. So he's back. He's actually pitching for the Padres now. Uh JP Crawford took him a while to like become like a truly good player. Um we still haven't really seen anything out of Nate Pearson. Yep. I would say like the Mets prospects from 17 and 18 with the Guardians have now kind of taken off and become totally uh viable major league regulars in Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez. That was actually a team that I wanted to talk about because we were talking about how like the uh, uh shoot, who was it that we were just talking about traded all their oh the the Pirates. The or Pirates. not the Pirates. The teams that traded all their big prospects. The, the A's. The A's. Yeah. So uh, they're like a direct foil of the A's where they also traded basically all their big prospects but for an entirely different reason. Like this is a team that has gotten things in return for that. They got Francisco Same. Lindor for um, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. They got uh, Francisco Alvarez is up now for them. But like this is a team that has been moving on from their top prospects, and they've become something somewhere else. But they've also got something out of it. And so it's like they're – and you can say what you want about the, the Mets, about how stupid they've been historically. But like they've made some good moves and things like that. Because, yeah, you obviously would love to have Andres Jimenez on your team. You would love to have a Medrosario half the time on your team. But Lindor, yeah, I probably would have made that move too. So Definitely. There's one that's definitely standing out to me in the Dodgers because complete opposite of the Rockies, they have basically had a different guy be their top number one prospect every year. Cody Bellinger, Walker Bueller, uh, Kieber yep. Ruiz, Gavin Lux, then Kieber Ruiz again. So he was the only repeat. And then Diego Cartaya. I and see. Diego Cartaya as... is the number one prospect again in 23. So technically, okay, they have yeah. two guys, both catchers, amazingly, that have topped the list out twice. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that they just graduate these guys and they have another guy basically fill that number one spot really quickly after they're not like, and then, and those guys at the top have made major impacts. Cody Bellinger and MVP Walker Bueller, you know, has been in the Cy Young running. Like, I don't know. Gavin Lux. We know the Dodgers are good. Yeah. Yeah. Gavin Lux before the injury, like has been an incredibly valuable utility guy for them and has now taken over the shortstop role. And then the injury, but yeah, and then Kabert was part of a trade that honestly really helped that team in the short term um, get Max Scherzer and uh, Trey Turner over. So, like, a team with this much talent that continues to pump these out and has actually already replaced Kabert Ruiz as a catching prospect at the top with Diego Cartaya, like, that's a trade you'd make 10 times over. So it, it just amazes me how good they've been at that. Um, the Astros one is kind of the, 
counterexample to the Dodgers because they have not had good number one prospects. Francis Martez, Forrest Whitley, Corey Lee, those guys have either barely played at the majors or in the case of Whitley, like never hasn't even made it. And he was their top prospect for three straight years or four straight yeah. years. Four straight years. I, I wouldn't yeah. really say, I mean, Corey Lee was last year's number one prospect. He just got, or made his major league debut this year. It's still early. So like, there's definitely time for him, but yeah, it's like Forrest Whitley was always the number one. And, and really that's just to show you the, the hype and the upside behind Forrest Whitley. Like he was injured for a lot of those four years. So like he worked his way up and he pitched well when healthy He's just never been able to stay healthy. And so he's never made it past AAA. And then finally got demoted from the number one spot because as you age and you still can't stay healthy, they kind of just assume you're never going to. Yeah. And, but, but behind Forrest Whitley, the Astros have promoted so many starting pitchers Luis Garcia, uh, Framber Valdez. Valdez. Yeah. Um, Christian Javier. Christian Javier, Jose Arquiti, those guys are all from their system that weren't top prospects, but they still made a huge impact. So I don't know if that's like yeah, and Houston then does a good like job. Like, guys like Jordan yeah. Alvarez. Totally, yeah. Like, so they've had tons of impact, just not from that top guy. And so it's not always just about the very top of the list it's yeah it's kind of like when you look at the the list of like the number one overall picks over the last 25 years it's like usually if you're a number one you're gonna pan out not always like um oh shoot the the guy who just came up as a reliever with the phillies last year yeah mark appell mark appell i i was even thinking mark appell and then i'm like that's not right um yeah, Mark Capel was a number one pick. He was not a number one prospect uh, for a team, which is actually kind of weird. You would think usually after you're the number one pick, you're probably going to be towards the top. Um, but yeah, he never panned out. And then, like, he was the number one. Like, it's the same thing here. But it just seems like you are going to hit a lot more than not which doesn't seem to be the case with some of these guys. Because, like, Franklin Perez for the Tigers still has not made it past double A. He's actually at single A, low A now. Um, there's probably some other guys like that if I look through here. Zach Collins with the, with the White Sox is now back in triple A with the Guardians. Estevan Florial. Down in AAA for uh, still with the Yankees, but down in AAA. Nolan Jones was a number one prospect, and he is maybe getting a shot with the Rockies this year. Maybe <laughs> they don't seem to want to give him a shot, even though he's mashing yeah. AAA. Yeah. So it's just it's so wild to me. Yep. Um. But there's yeah. there's some teams though, like you were looking here the other day at um just like the number of average war seasons by these prospects. And I I think that's another spot where it's like that kind of supports the point where uh, that I was just trying to make of like you're not gonna hit on every number one, but overall they're gonna be pretty solid. Like 
the the Angels have five different seasons by people who have been their top prospect in the last six years that have been a two-war player, two being roughly the major league average for war. Um, you've had 12 from the Braves and Swanson, Acuna, Riley, and Harris. Um, Probably the had, most successful team, right, is the Braves. Oh, by of their number one prospects, you've got Swanson, Acuna, Riley, Christian Pache, who seems like the one outlier, and then Michael Harris. So they basically built like the core of their team through their top prospects who all panned out. And that's not normal. That's, that's the exception to all these other teams, basically, because usually you have more than like one of the guys that doesn't pan out. So the thing that kind of uh, makes me think with Dansby, was Dansby not a top prospect in Arizona? He absolutely he was. Because he was traded. Was it just too early for this? Um, yeah, for this chart, yeah, because he was the number one pick in the draft in 2015. Okay. So prior to his debut in 17, he was probably the number one prospect in Arizona as well. I'm sure he was, yeah. Okay. But yeah. But then you've got some of these other teams that you would think have like some really good number one prospects. Teams that have constantly good farm systems like the Guardians, they've only had one guy or one season of two war or more. And that was out of Tristan McKenzie. Um, you've got I don't know, like the Twins, I feel like have had some pretty good prospects. And Royce Lewis, who, like, he's just never been healthy. Like, he's been hurt every year that he was a number one, and he's hurt again. Um, but then Alex Kirloff and uh, some other guys who have been pretty good prospects, and they have zero. They have not had a single top prospect since 2017 actually turn out an average season in the majors. And it's just, it's wild to think about. Because, like, some of these teams are so good and they've had such good players come up through their system, yet nothing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The, the Astros, that's that's the one that I was supporting your point here a couple minutes ago. Like, it's, their number ones have been pretty not great, but their number twos, threes, fours have been phenomenal. And... Like they have had zero two R war seasons out of their number ones. But what did Jeremy Pena have last year alone? Do you know? I uh, do not know. Uh, R war is a uh, B ref, isn't it? Yeah. Jeremy Pena. If it would click the button. Uh, Jeremy it's, it's... Pena had 4.9 our war last season. Yeah, and like that was pretty Yeah, so like their other guys have been turning out. And so I I would love to see this same list be like the top 5s and just see just how it stacks up in comparison. Cuz like if we were to go through and all 6 years for all 30 teams, 180 names. Um and just check off, like, who's succeeded, who's made it. I, I'm curious to see what percentage we would have on this chart versus percentage if we were to expand it to the top five prospects. Because I think you would see that percentage go up with the top five. Yes, yeah, I think so, yeah. Which may yeah. be an interesting thing that we should try and do, but 
I don't know if it's going to be worth the effort, but it would be an interesting <laughs> thing to see. Yeah, definitely. So thanks for thanks to Jay Kuda for doing the hard work for at least compiling the number one prospects for us. Do you think we can make him do the others? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. All right. So I think that's all we've got for you today. Uh, do you have any final thoughts here before we? Uh... If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod. If you enjoy card collecting, check out our sister YouTube channel at Getaway Day Cards. 